want to share a subject today that uh, is not entertaining, and it may have a little more depth to it than normal. I think I want to encourage you just to ask God, just you breathe the prayer to him for yourself. Speak to my heart that truth that will help our body together corporately and will help me as an individual. We're in the series called Determining. We talked early about determining the will of God on this journey, on this path that we're on as believers. Starts in the bottom right corner on the graphic in front of you on the screen, on the image. And I've suggested to you that that speaks to us of that day we came to Christ. The most blessed day of our lives. Amen. A great day when... I came to know him because he came searching for me. And by the way, lost sheep aren't looking for the shepherd. The shepherd goes looking for the lost sheep. And he came searching me and found me as a nine-year-old boy in the third grade. Greatest day of my life. I still rejoice in that hour when I started down this Christian path. And we just finished singing about the end of that path. It's kind of a faint thing at the top left corner of the screen when he decides to call us home. And we may be more in the middle of the path than at the end of what we think will be our journey here. He decides when that's ended, right? We've been reminded of that of late on a number of occasions. And I'm just glad that part of it's in his control. And uh, I'm glad to be on this path that goes from new birth till that day when there's no weeping, no pain anymore. And I'm ready to say sort of, come Lord Jesus. I'm ready to go home and just as soon as he come and gather me out and to go through that valley of the shadow of death. But that's okay, it's up to him, not me. Now, I just learned a word to hear about roads. I had no idea what a two-track was. How many here know what a two-track is? Look at you. You're strange people. You know what a two-track is? It's like I've never heard of that in my life. I've heard of a cow path. And I've heard of a dirt road, but not a two-track. Well, this graphic, this image is more like a two-track. There isn't room for two cars to meet on that road. I get it. We sometimes forget that the Christian path is a two-track. It's a narrow road. It's not a broad highway. I just had to go back to Illinois to a doctor. That's the only place my insurance works. And so I have to go back there for checkups periodically, and I'm a specimen of health. I came back through a path that we have traveled for the last 30 years over and over again, and that's the southern end of the tip of Lake Michigan, uh, what was initially a four-lane highway called the Borman. Anybody been on it? Yeah, it's Interstate 80, the only way to go east and west at the southern tip of Lake Michigan. We used to get bogged down on that Broadway because there were only four lanes to each direction. The last several years they've expanded that and it's a thrill to go across there now. What used to take an hour and a half 
takes about uh, 15 minutes if you're traveling under grace, 20 minutes if you travel under law. And going across that uh, thing now is a five-lane Broadway that many vehicles are on, and you just scoot right along. And that's a much easier path than it used to be. And I've stopped suggesting to any who have yet to get on this two-track called the narrow way, I've stopped suggesting that it's an easy road. Wouldn't you agree with me? It is a tough road, but one that there is one who walks beside you, that enables you to travel this two-track, this narrow way, enables you to do it in a way that you can never do it on the Broadway. All the people on that Broadway are just so self-focused, so get out of my way, I'm coming through. Those who are on the narrow way, led and empowered and given life by the Holy Spirit of God, they are thrilled to walk this track, this track, this narrow path, and, uh, and do it with others who know the Lord and even some who don't know the Lord who cross that path. We love to do this thing together, right? Look at the person next to you and just say, love you, man. I wondered what you were going to do with that. God's people love God's people, and they love the fire from God. And this is one of the things that makes the road, and I'm sorry if this seems pessimistic to you, but it's reality. I've been doing this thing for a while. This narrow road, one of the things that makes it so tough is that I have to do it with sinners saved by grace. Right? Another way of putting it, I live with a sinner. Elaine. And no, she does not get a service to get back before I leave here. I have to do it with you, and the reality is you have to do it with me. It's one of the things that makes it tough. And the message I want to deal with today is, is this whole idea of how to respond to me when I am not walking as spiritual as I should be. None of us are perfect at that, I get it, but... There are some expectations on each of us, especially the longer we're in the family of God. There are some expectations that we don't live up to. And please say amen so I know I'm not alone. We don't live up to it, beloved. And the question is, how do I respond to you? And how do you respond to me and to each other when we're not living up to the spiritual state that God has called us to live up to? And some would say, well, I'm not responsible for anybody else and I should not become a judge of anyone else. Therefore, why study this, how to respond to each other? 
That means I have to take a look at you and you, me, and you and each other and say, what condition are you in as you are speaking with me and interacting with me and walking with me today? And then how can I help you depending on the spiritual condition that you're in as you walk with me and how can you help me depending on the spiritual condition I'm in as you walk with me? And here's what I believe. Leaders, let alone church members, have seldom in our culture been taught how to respond to the people of God depending on their spiritual condition at the moment. They've not even been taught that they should respond in a spiritual way to them. And in case you're one of those who's questioning that, why should I? Doesn't, don't the scripture say, judge not? that you be not judged? Yes, but that's out of context, and I won't park there. I'll take you back to a myriad of tests. I'll just name one or two. There's one that says to the new believers, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 15, you are able to counsel. And by saying that, he was saying, I can now leave you in each other's hands because you are ready to make some spiritual judgments about each other and help one another grow and not just leave one another in the spiritual state that you find yourselves. There's another place. If a brother be overtaken in the fall, a brother who is not spiritual at this point in his life but has fallen, if he's overtaken in the fall, ye who are spiritual, restore such an one. What does that say to you? That says we are responsible for each other and help each other grow in our spirituality, right? So understanding that concept, now look at the person next to you and say, please help me. Not nearly as many got involved in that one. I hope by the end of this study you're ready to do that. Now, when people are not all that they should be, and the more you get to know a person, the more you know none of us are. When we are not all that we should be, how should we not respond? Let me give you a few images on this one. Don't respond like that. Oh, God. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a badger. Those things usually leave you alone, listen carefully, unless you get near their domain. You get near my domain, the badger says, and you'll pay a price. This will be my response to you. See those two fangs? They'll do a lot more damage than the snake will do, so I'm told. Are there not people who when people respond poorly to them, they respond worse than in kind, they respond fangs out. And before you blow those kind of people out of the water, can I just say that's in all of our hearts, it's the way we're naturally born, and I can prove that biblically. How about we not respond this way? There's been a lot in the news lately from professional football to little kids in school about bullying. 
And so if someone does not respond well to me on my two-track journey, narrow-way journey, then I just try to dominate over them? Is that the way to respond? I think Christ did not say that. The greatest of all shall be the servant of all, and what a servant does when he's smitten on one cheek is turn the other, not dominate over. And here's one I love, how not to respond. A saint is being ganged up on. <laughs> Only a football player gets that, or a football enthusiast. It's like, what do you think's going through this guy's head at that moment that the picture was taken? I know a couple of things that would go through mine. Is this going to hurt when we all land and I'm at the bottom? And I'll tell you another thing to be going through my mind. I have one question to ask when I get back to the huddle. Where are all the white jerseys? You should be there covering my back, right? There are times I've watched it. I've tried to guard against it in my own life. It's so natural for us to do, my beloved. There are times when a saint is not acting as he should. I gather all the friends I can around me who are my team players and we pile on. And I want to tell you that's not what the book teaches us to do. Agreed? So how not to respond? I get that. I can't help you respond unless I spend a little time with you. It was advertised we're going to be in the book of Job, but I don't have an, or Jude but I don't have enough time to get there. It's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 2. On part 2 next week, we'll get to Jude, who tells us how to respond to people who are in poor spiritual condition. But watch this. You'll never know how to respond unless you understand what groups, what categories, what spiritual conditions people are potentially in at any given point in time. And I want to help you identify those three spiritual categories or groups from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. With Bibles open there, could I ask you to stand with me? Let's read together verses 13 through chapter 3, the first part of the verse. Follow along, will you? These things we also speak, not in word, words, that should be words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Watch this. Words, not in words, that man's wisdom teaches, but rather in words that the Holy Spirit teaches. I want to pause right there and ask you to look this way just one second. Beloved. The Holy Spirit from Paul's pen does not work primarily emotionally. He works primarily cognitively. And I said I wanted to bring you a little deeper into some truth today. And this is one of the key points. I'm trying to say the Spirit of God does not first work on our feelings. He first works on our thinking. That's why when Christ left, he said of the Holy Spirit of God, when he comes, he will teach you. 
Not help you feel, but help you learn. So it's a cognitive thing. Are you with me? Now you need to hang on to that because that's core to the three categories of people we're going to look at. Now stay with me. Words which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things or spiritual truths with spiritual truths. But the natural man does not receive the things or the truth of the Spirit of God. Now watch this statement. For they are foolishness to him. Did you ever try to tell a lost person why you tithe? It's like, duh, that makes no sense to me. Why would you do that? Preachers are money grabbers. Don't say yo. Because they can't discern them because they are spiritually discerned. You have to have the spirit to discern the truth that he teaches. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual. Did you catch that? I, brethren, people of God, I could not speak to you as spiritual persons or people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. That's the only way I can treat you. I fed you with milk and not with solid food or meat. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you were still not able, for you are still carnal. Let's pause right there and ask God to open our minds to the three groups we just read about. Father, thank you for delivering me from the first group that day I came to you. Forgive me for being in that second group when I live as if I were in the first. And I beg of you, Father, bring alongside of me and into my life more and more and more people who will help me become that last group that is growing in Christ-likeness. May in the end of this service and this brief study, we walk out of this place absolutely determined to help one another move into that last category of people who are growing earnestly, intentionally, purposefully, together growing in becoming all that Christ was. Granted for Jesus' sake, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of this, your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I want to talk to you about these three groups. You have to see them very quickly in the great context of 1 Corinthians. The book of Galatians is a book of soteriology. It's about salvation. The book of First and Second Thessalonians is a book that is all about um, eschatology, the future. And the book of First and Second Corinthians, along with Ephesians, is a book that is all about ecclesiology. That is, it is about 
the church that is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now stay with me on this. By the time you get to the second verse in the book, there are two phrases. Two phrases that if you really grab a hold of, will help you understand all that First and Second Corinthians really is about. And these are the two phrases that summarize the passion of Paul as he writes the book. The church of God in the city of Corinth. Now stay with me. The city of Corinth got to know some things about it. It was a godless city. It didn't know the Lord at all, but nonetheless it was a religious city that was pursuing all kinds of idols and it's a city that like others had worship to the unknown God in case they were leaving out uh, a deity that they didn't know about. And so they were religious but without God. And stay with me, they were a Roman colony But though they lived under the authority of Rome, at the same time, they were the only Roman uh, colony under the empire of Rome in its history that was self-governing apart from Rome. That's pretty interesting. Stay with me on that. They governed themselves without God. That's Corinth. Now you add to that circle of influence and culture around them, the culture of the church, and it wasn't like this, it was like this. The culture that was around them in the city of Corinth became the culture of the church. They were a godless culture who were self-governing, giving no thought to the instruction of Paul, the instruction and leadership of the Holy Spirit of God to govern them God's way. And by the way, that describes the American church in our Western culture, in my view today, or what my view is worth. Very little, I get it, but it does. We have in our culture a thing called democracy, right? Hello? Yeah, we're kind of tied to that, and I have no problem with that in the culture that we live in. God has blessed our American culture. But watch this. That is not the culture that God intended for the church. God never set up democracy for his people. He set up theocracy. And the moment democracy in America moved away and devolved away from God as it has progressively done that and we've gone to extremes that you and I never thought we'd see in our lifetime. The moment we do that, God leaves the building and the blessing of God does not rest upon that people. And the moment you let the culture, democracy, supersede, theocracy in the church, you've got a problem, right? Some of you don't look real convinced. Would you please think that through and say, oh, it's true. And I want to encourage you to continue to think about that because, my beloved, the church at Corinth became self-governed, not God-governed. And it got them in a world of trouble. So what does Paul do about that? 
He writes to this church that's in trouble because it's so much like the world and divided like the world and independent, not interdependent. As a church, one group seeing themselves superior to another and giving all kinds of reasons in their own heads and even verbally why they're superior. That mess and division is in that church and what happens? The Apostle Paul says, got to do something about it in the Spirit of God leads him to talk to them about his ministry, the ministry of the Spirit of God. And what you find in the second chapter that we read is this whole idea that the Spirit of God's ministry is what determines the category that the members of the church inside the church of Corinth are in. Their spiritual condition is determined by their response to the Holy Spirit of God. And you have to know that if you're going to help each other grow out of those states that are not much like Christ. So are you still with me? Three in the back row are. Where are the rest of you? Now here we go. Here's the first category and I'll fly through them with you. The natural group. He spoke of them in chapter 2, verse 14. The natural does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. What places a natural person in the natural category? How do you know whether or not a person is natural in his spiritual condition? The answer is you know by his response to the Holy Spirit... He does not accept the teachings of the Spirit of God. Why? Because the text goes on to say, and you check it out on your own, he does not know the Spirit of God or does not have the Spirit of God living in him. Now watch this. That's the way we're all born. Without God, without God indwelling us, so if God is not ruling in my life and the Spirit of God is not present teaching me the things of God, I will never understand the things of God. All I will understand is what I think. Right? So if God's not my life, who is ruling my life? We all, let me help you, we are all born in sin and I'm going to keep reminding you of this as long as I'm here. The central letter in the word sin is I, the natural man, lives life as if it's all about himself and he can't get out of that until God finds him, quickens his mind and heart and enables him to believe on his son. Then the Spirit of God can live in him, but not until then. Let me pause right here. My friend, if you are here and have no idea what I'm talking about, then I want to tell you today, you need to breathe a prayer to God. You're wondering, why on earth can't I understand this book? It's written in plain English and black and white. There's so much there that, that I should be able to understand, but no pun intended, it's all Greek to me. Well, maybe pun is intended. So I, I can't understand the concepts that are here. Now, there's a reason you can't. It's because like all the rest of us, you were born into this world without God focused on self. 
And now it's time. I prayed and prayed today that the Spirit of God would open the minds of some who have yet to believe. And I'm not talking to people who are on church rolls, who've been baptized, who know the Bible front and back, who tithe of their offerings. None of that gets you to heaven or even makes you spiritual. It's not by what we do. It's by what he does in us. And here's the great question. Has there ever been a time when you said to the Father, I accept the work of Christ on the cross that delivers me from me. Please enter my heart and life and be the Lord of my life. That's the prayer that you ought to be praying when you read a book in a context like 1 Corinthians. We're all born just like you. And there was a day we started this journey by saying, I accept what your son did to make you Lord of my life. Breathe that prayer to him. And then let somebody know after the service here, will you? Secondly, there's another category I need to quickly tell you about, and that's the carnal. That's the group or the category, a spiritual category that's not very spiritual. It's an unspiritual group. And it's spoken of in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, the first verse this way in one translation. A brothers, I brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. And that's where the word in the King James or New King James is carnal. But the word carnal literally does mean fleshly, in a natural way. And so if I am born from above, but I'm acting like I'm still natural, living life as if it's by myself, all about me, then what am I? I'm not natural, for I've been born again. The Spirit of God has taken up residence in me. But if I'm acting like I'm natural, I'm living in the flesh a natural way, then I'm in this carnal group, still living as if it's all about me. And Paul gives an analogy of that. You remember what it is? It's in the context. Your babies. Carnal people are babies. What do you mean by that? Well, let me explain, Paul says. I mean, I can only give you milk. You don't get any solid food or meat till you're a toddler. It's time you were toddlers, is what Paul is saying to them. It's time you step it up. But all I can do is feed you milk until you're ready to say, I'm done with living life the old way. Hello? That didn't work out good for me, and I don't want to continue there. Paul's saying, I want you, church, and he's being what all of us should be in each other's lives, a confrontive individual who, when he sees babies, he says, can I help you a bit? Sure would like to shepherd you here and help you become a little more than what you are. Don't expect you to be perfect. Just expect you to be a little more spiritually growing. Watch this. 
You put a two-year-old in a room with his toys and open the door and say to that little two-year-old boy, Johnny, two of your friends are here to come play with you. He goes over and grabs all of his toys and pulls them to himself. He picks them up and walks over to his two friends and he says, which one would you like to play with? No, neither does Elaine's grandkids. They don't do that. They pick them up and hoard them to themselves and they're the badger. Mine, my domain, my territory. Listen. Y'all know the entrance here to help, right? Outside of looking in, every church walks through this. Every church has people in this category. And I am often in this category. And it doesn't change unless and until not just the leadership, but those who really love the brethren, you and your friends get next to each other and say, my friend, are you thinking like Christ, turning over all of your life to him, or are you protecting somehow your domain as a power broker in the church? That's what Paul's addressing. Power brokers who are saying, it's mine. And he's saying, I love you, let me help you, man. Let me help you move to the next category and I've got to hurry with this one, the spiritual group. For he says in 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person, third category of spirituality, the highest, where we need to be pursuing, the spiritual person judges all things that the Spirit of God is teaching. It's really what the context says. Still with me? Check your neighbor one last time. Yeah. Three of you just woke up. I get it. Church, don't miss this. Two key words. Spiritual judge. Spiritual comes from the same word that spirit comes from. Pneuma. And spiritual is from a second word that, that is tikas. Pneuma tikas. Pneuma means breath. Like the Spirit of God is the breath of God. And tikas means come from God. And you put the two together, it's, this is a category of people who've been breathed upon by the one who has come from God, by the breath that has come from God. Those are the spiritual. Not a unique way of looking at it. Just like God breathed into the physical body of man, the breath of life, and man became a living being. So he sent a second time to man the Spirit of God to breathe into us spiritual life so that we accept all that he breathed into us as from above, and we accept it gladly. Now, you got that picture in your head? Then breathed upon by the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. 
And that breathing is not disconnected from the book. He breathes on me the things, the truths that he has sent to give me. Now the text says, the person who understands what's happening dynamically, the spiritual person, understands that he is to judge those things. Not as a judge in the sense over a court of law, for no one needs to judge the truth of God in that way. I can't imagine sitting down with the Trinity and saying, you could have done it better this way. It's like, duh. No, that's not who you're judging. You see, when the pneumatikos breathes upon us the things of God, as one who indwells us, he teaches us truth. We don't just, and the word judge means to examine or discern, we don't just examine the truth to see what we think about it. More importantly, the spiritual person lets the truth examine him or her. Are you with me? So here's the great challenge. God, breathe on me and help me to be a part of that group that takes the truth you embed and breathe within me and let it expose my heart's condition, every single area that's carnal and born out of the flesh. Show it to me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. And as it discerns me, and I, in a sense, discern what you want to be doing in me, then I yield to your truth. The carnal refuse to do that. The spiritual cannot help but do that. Now here's the deal. I need help doing that. And when I'm carnal and it needs to be replaced with the breath of God, I need to be spiritual. Then I need you to come alongside of me. Hello? I need you. I need you. I need you. That's what church is all about. And you need each other to come alongside each other and respond. See why there's too much here to do in one message? We haven't even talked yet about how to respond to the natural, how to respond to the carnal, and how to respond to the spiritual. Can't do it unless you know who those categories, what those categories are, and how you put people within them. How you make a discernment in your own head so that you know what to say when you hear those people who come alongside you in your life that God puts on the two-track with you. You've got to know how to decipher who's in what category. So quick review. The natural, they don't know anything about the truths of God because they don't have the spirit. The carnal, they know a little bit, but they act like they're still natural. Well, they're not letting the breath of God breathe on them. The spiritual are those who are saying, come on, come on, breathe into my life. Let God speak through you to me. Help me discern where I need to change. And thank you for loving me enough 
to help me change. That is missing in the American church. And until we get back to it, the American church is in trouble. And all God's people who care to said, your turn. So, this is the most important statement of all. Before I determine which group you are in, I better figure out which group I'm in. Amen, Larry, you sure better do that. Please tell me you've heard this before. Cast the log out of your own eye. Before you can see clearly to cast the sawdust speck out of your brother's eye. Don't, please. I beg of you. I've watched people do it the long way. Don't say, I'm going to do this, but do it with an iron judgmental fist. Rather do it by coming alongside and saying, you know I love you, brother, sister in Christ. Can I kind of put our relationship to the test here? I see something that concerns me in your life. Help me if I'm seeing it wrongly. If not, please, brother, hear me. Wouldn't you value that? Wouldn't that help you big time in your life? Well, maybe you and I ought to breathe this prayer then. I don't like written prayers too often, but I like this one in response to what we've heard. Getting ready for next Sunday. God, grant me the wisdom to humbly determine my brother's spiritual condition. As he intersects with my path, is he carnal, my brother, or is he spiritual? Or is this person that intersects with me, is he natural and needs to be born from above? God help me to discern that humbly, without judgment, desiring to be a help. Just stand with me.